Well, this morning, um, we're going to be looking at the life of David in Scripture. Um, we're going to be looking at the life of David, David from 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, but it'll take us just a little while to get there. But if you'd um, like to be able to open up your Bible, um, open up the Bible on your phone uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, and before we get there, I want to say welcome home to Aaron Robertson. He's been away on deployment, so we're glad to have you back home. And I know as excited as we are to have you home, I know that Kazumi and the kids are even more excited. So we're so glad to, to be able to see your face with us again. Do you guys remember um, what the last normal event is that you took part in before COVID? Right? Maybe it was the last uh, dinner party, the last concert, the last time you traveled uh, before everything seemed to change. Uh, for Vince and I, we got to, in January of 2020, uh, we got to go to um, the San Diego Civic Theater and see the uh, Broadway production of Dear Evan Hansen um, with no, no clue in our mind that that would be the last time for a very long time that any of us would go to any kind of uh, theater production, any large event indoors. Um, while we were there at that, that production of Dear Evan Hansen, um, the opening song is these, these moms um, that are singing this song um, as they're figuring out how to parent their teenage boys through different crises in their life. Um, and I can remember sitting there listening to um, the actors on stage singing this, this song, um, this song about not knowing how to move forward. Uh, does anybody have a map, <laughs> is what they're singing about. Um, this, this journey of parenthood, um, is, there, is there anyone who can tell me what to do, how I'm supposed to respond? Um, and as the, the words of the, the song go on, um, the moms sing that they, they're just pretending like they know what to do, um, flying blind, making it up as I go. And I can remember sitting there just like crying as I'm listening to the words of this song. Um, I'm in a different stage of life than those fictional moms were. I've got younger kids, um, but I too have felt that sense of feeling like I'm just making it up as I go, right? I mean, how many of us um, have taken journeys in our life, um, whether they're literal journeys or more of a metaphorical journey of um, the journey of adulthood or marriage, losing a spouse, walking um, aging parents through the process of, of dementia um, and loss of their life? Like that there are these journeys that we go on that we really wish there was some kind of roadmap for us, right? To tell us what's coming up, how we should respond, where we should turn. We all have these, these spaces, areas in our life where we wish there was a map in front of us. There are people that we can look to, 
people that we can look to who have walked the road before us and let us know what some of those, um, those markers along the way will be. They can't tell us exactly what our journey is going to look like, but they might be able to let us know some of the, the common things that we all might face. And this is especially true when it comes to the spiritual journey spiritual journey that we're all on. Scripture talks about us being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Men and women, mothers and fathers of the faith who have walked the road before us, um, and they have found that there are some common paths that we all tend to walk, some common um, movements to our journey with the Lord, that though, again, they're not gonna be carbon copies of one another, that as we look at the life of men and women who have gone before us, we can see some of the things that we might expect coming up for us. A well-worn road that many have traveled before us and their wisdom um, can help us to know what to expect and to not be surprised by what comes up ahead of us. There are, are different maps or pathways um, that these men and women, um, theologians and um, priests and pastors and men and women just like us that have written about over the years. Um, one of the maps that I have found to be really helpful is this map that looks at uh, the spiritual life um, in stages, really six stages of the spiritual journey. And again, this is not a scientific thing. This is not saying that this is exactly what everybody's life is going to look like, but it's more like a well-worn path that can help us to know what to expect on the road ahead of us some commonalities to help us find our bearings in our own unique journeys that we'll each face. Uh, the, this map is, is broken up into six different stages. And we're gonna look at the life of David together and kind of see how he might have walked through some of these same stages um, of life that men and women of faith have discovered over the years. But the first stage is this life-changing awareness of God. It's the stage of discovering, where we first become aware that there is more to life than just the material world around us, just what we can see, that there is a spiritual dimension to life. And so for many of us, it's that awakening to the presence of God, to the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that there is one who has created the universe and us in it, who loves us deeply and who has given himself for us. And so in this stage of life, it's like our honeymoon season with God, right? Everything seems new and amazing. A lot of times people talk about it um, in, as in like the, the, the fire, the, you know, those, the flame of love with God, that there's just this amazing openness and awareness to God's presence and his activity in our life. Uh, and then many of us move into this stage of discipleship or learning where we begin to just be consumed um, by 
growing in our understanding of who God is. And so maybe in this season of life, we're listening to like every Christian podcast we can get our hands on. Um, we're reading all kinds of books. We're diving into Bible studies. We just can't get enough of the learning about God and about our, our discipleship, our formation um, as followers of Jesus Christ. And then from there, a lot of us move into this active or serving stage of life where we're connected with a community of believers and we start seeing how God has shaped us and formed us, the unique fingerprint that he has in our life. And we get so excited about the fact that God has something for us to do in his kingdom. Um, that there's a way for us to serve and love and care for the people around us and the world around us. And so we begin doing all kinds of things for God. Um, all of this is activity for him because out of our, our growth in our understanding of him and our understanding of how he's made us, we long to be able to give back and to be a part of his people and his kingdom here on earth. Many um, roadmaps for Christian faith kind of end here. That this, um, this seems like kind of the pinnacle of Christian life um, and that we've, we've discovered God, we've grown in our discipleship with God, um, we're serving him and his people, and that seems kind of like, and that's, that's where we are, right? That's where we arrive. Uh, but many people have realized that after this, there tends to be some more stages or seasons of life that we come to. Um, and, and one of those such stages um, is the stage of the, the journey inward and the wall in our life. And some there's nodding heads already of people who have discovered this on their own, um, is that Many of us realize that we come to a point in our journey with the Lord where it feels like our faith isn't working anymore. And it feels like things are dry or barren, um, that the things that we've done before that have caused us to feel connected with the Lord and feel like we're growing and advancing, um, those things seem to have kind of dried up and they just aren't working anymore. Uh, maybe for, for a lot of us, we hit some sort of either spiritual or personal crisis in our life. And instead of having real um, a security in God and his plan and his purposes for us, we are left in a cloud of confusion and doubt. We're filled with more questions than we have answers. Uh, that, that something comes along in our life and kind of seems to sideswipe us and we have lost our bearings where we once felt so sure about God and how he worked in the world and how he works in our lives. Now we're not so sure anymore. And for a lot of us, when we hit this point in our faith, whether it's this wilderness season where things just feel barren and dry, or we've hit this crisis, this wall in our life, um, something just out of the blue that, that knocks us off our feet. This can be the point in our journey with the Lord where we either just stop or we turn back or turn away. Again, scripture, we can see even followers of Jesus Christ um, who were with him and walking along the road with him, learning from him, serving him, serving with him. 
um, and then something happens, a teaching that Jesus gives, and they just can't get their hands around it, and so they turn away from him. Or Judas, one of his, his 12 disciples, who just completely gives up after he hits this, this wall with Jesus, of, of Jesus not fulfilling his expectations of what a Messiah is going to be, and Judas betrays Jesus, and then when he realizes the effects of his actions, he just can't move forward anymore and completely turns back. Followers of Jesus Christ have all realized that at some point in our journey with the Lord, we're going to hit this, this season. We're going to hit this season in our life where either the questions and, and um, doubts in our life cause us to hit up against this wall, this stopping point that we just can't seem to get through, or the wall hits us, right? Maybe a divorce, diagnosis, a depression, a, a kid of ours that is, has turned away. Um, maybe it's a, a sense of being uh, betrayed by the people closest to us who we love this wall can come out of nowhere and hit us and lead us into the season of questioning and wondering and doubting. The wall is an ordinary part of our life with, with Jesus and our life with the Lord. You can see throughout all of scripture that men and women were constantly coming up against these insurmountable obstacles in their life. You think of Job in the book of Job. Um, he had everything in his life stripped away from him. Lost his children, his home, his wealth, his health, all of it stripped away. Think of Jonah and the belly of the fish. Think of Elijah after he's had this great moment with the Lord, um, this, this moment of victory and success over the, the pagan priests. And then he hits this wall in his life where he's questioning everything and crying out to God, saying, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left who is following you, who has stayed uh, true to you. Think of Naomi, who lost everything. Lost her husband and her sons. She's living in a foreign land. Think of Esther, who was taken against her will, who was um, made queen over the pagan nation, um, and then her people are facing genocide. And she's left in this um, really powerless and precarious situation, wondering what it is that God has for her in her life. Think of Abraham and Sarah who were promised that they would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky, and yet they were facing infertility year after year after year. Moses in the desert. Think of Paul being arrested and beaten multiple times. Men and women who follow Jesus. Our lives might not all look exactly the same, but one thing that seems to be a constant is we all hit these seasons of barrenness and we all hit these walls in our life. 
that we just can't muscle through on our own, right? We can't try harder or we can't try hard enough to make it through. But there is life on the other end. For those who don't turn back or turn away, but for those who submit their lives to the Lord and trust in his work in our lives, that there is a way through these seasons, through the walls that get placed in our life. And on the other end, followers of Jesus have found new life, a new season that we'll look at here that's, that's talked about this journey outward, where we once again begin the, the movement of, of serving and caring for others, um, getting involved, active again in our walk with the Lord and our life in community with one another, but there's something different about us, right? We've, we've been shaped and transformed in the, the dark season of our life. And through that shaping and transforming, we emerge out the other side of people who might be more humble, more loving, more patient and caring, and who can do a lot of the things that we had been doing before in other seasons of our life, but now there's a new source, a deeper well that we're drawing from as we serve the Lord, as we follow him and serve others. And as this, this map here, uh, talks about there's a, another stage of, of being transformed into love. A stage of life where we, like the Apostle John, when he got to this um, later stage in his life, and he's carried around because he's too old and frail to do it on his own, but he's carried around into different church gatherings. And every time he enters into a church gathering, he has the same words on his lips. Dear children, love one another. And the disciples ask him, why do you keep saying this same message to us over and over again? He says, because this is what Jesus gave us. These are the words that Jesus gave us, that they're in our journey with the Lord, that he would be moving and working in our lives so that we would be transformed into a people who love, who experience love from God, who love the world around us, who reflect love to everyone that we meet as we're transformed into a people of love. I can't think of anyone really whose story better depicts some of these movements of faith um, but David in Scripture. And many of you are probably familiar with his story, um, but I found even just this last week rereading David's story, man, there, his life was crazy. <laughs> His life um, had a lot of twists and turns. There's a reason that a few years back it was turned into like a network TV series um, that was like a modern day adaption because, I mean, it, his life had a lot of twists and turns and intrigue to it. Starts out, we pick up his story in 1 Samuel 16, 
Uh, Samuel was a prophet of the Lord who had anointed Saul to be king over Israel. Um, Saul had been disobedient to the Lord, and so God spoke to Samuel, saying that there's going to be someone else that I raise up to be king in his place, uh, someone who will serve um, after my heart. And so Samuel went out to find uh, this new king to anoint, and so he goes to Jesse, um, who's the father of many sons, and he begins with the oldest, assuming that this the older, handsome, tall um, man is going to be the one that God anoints to be king over Israel. Um, but one by one, the Lord says, nope, it's not him. Nope, it's not that son. It's not that son. It's not that son. And he seems to run out of kids. Um, and so Samuel finally comes to Jesse and says, do you, do you have any other sons? And so picking up in verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? He said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he's ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then sent out and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So that's the guy who's currently king. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, See now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command the servant who attended you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will feel better. So Saul sent to his, said to his servants, Provide for me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful and plain, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a kid, and sent them by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered into his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, and Saul would be relieved and feel better, and the evil spirit would depart from him. And then the story goes on to kind of the most famous chapter of David's life, uh, where he defeats the Philistine giant Goliath. Right? The, the army of Israel is cowering in their boots. They're scared of the army that's in front of them. And David, this young shepherd boy, comes and defeats, uh, defeats the giant. 
And from there, it just seems like his life just keeps getting better and better. Um, success is his and everything that he turns to. In chapter 18, starting in verse 5, we read that David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. As a result, Saul set him over the army, and all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. So he went from being this, this little shepherd boy that even his family overlooked to defeating a giant, uh, to being the king's favorite, and then being set over the entire army of Israel. I mean, this is quite an amazing rise to power. And as they were coming home, when David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all of the towns of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they made merry. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. For this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands? What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day on. And from here, David's life takes a really drastic turn. He had this amazing moment with the Lord where he is anointed to be king over God's people. And then in this season of his life where he's a shepherd boy um, out in the fields, he is learning all about the Lord. He's learning about God's faithfulness, his presence with him, God fighting his battles for him. And then David enters into the season of his life where he is actively serving God's people. And life is going really well. And then out of the blue, this, this jealous rage of King Saul, the man who took David under his wing, just completely turns. And now in the next chapter, we see that Saul is literally throwing his spear at David, trying to kill him. Right? And then... King Saul offers um, one of his daughters to David to marry and because he's hoping to, to trap him and to have the, the Philistines want to kill David because he's the son-in-law of the king. So all of this intrigue is happening all in order to kill David. And David ends up for the next 10 to 13 years of his life running and fleeing from this murderous king. Life was going really well, and then this wall came up in David's life. Something that he couldn't surmount on his own, something he couldn't make, through, make it through without the help of the Lord. And as David is in this long, drawn-out season of his life, he experiences the Lord in a profound way that as he's hiding in caves, as he's living with um, his nation's enemies as an exile, he discovers the goodness of God, a goodness of God that, that surpasses any of the circumstances of David's life. He discovers that God is present with him and that his presence hasn't left him even though his circumstances have changed. He discovers at the wall how to wait on the Lord, how to be patient for God's timing. 
The walls of life happen to every one of us. And yet we still tend to feel surprised and thrown off guard. All right? I know when I face these, these walls in my life, usually the first question is, what went wrong? All right? I'm doing all of the right things, God. Why has this happened? We want to be able to, to find the reason why life went so off course. But what we tend to overlook is the fact that this is the ordinary way of following Jesus, that this is the ordinary path of our journey with God. It's an opportunity for us to cooperate with God's work in our lives. I read these words talking about this this wall or what some Christian authors have described as the dark night of the soul, says that when you come to the wall, you will need to cooperate with the crisis as a gift of grace, as painful as it may be, for behind it, while not necessarily orchestrating it, is the hand of God guiding you to a new awakening of your life in Christ. God might not always orchestrate the challenges and the walls that we face, but we can be assured that his hand is behind it, working out his purposes in us and through us if we will cooperate with him. But we have to learn at the wall to not cling to our own sense of control, but instead learn how to surrender. I think of a picture of someone drowning in a swimming pool And as they're in the swimming pool, if someone comes to try to rescue them while they're flailing about, right, they're going to make the rescue even more drawn out and dangerous. But it's only when you actually stop fighting and trying to gain control or regain control and you just surrender that the lifeguard can actually take you to safety. And I think for many of us that that is what happens to us in these seasons of life that we fight so hard to regain control in the midst of circumstances that are out of our control. And it's only when we learn to surrender to God's will, his purposes, his love, his good intentions for us at the wall, that he is able to move us through the insurmountable obstacles that are in front of us. So when we're at the wall, will we surrender control when we don't know what God is up to, oftentimes when we don't even know if we can see him there, will we be willing to surrender control and trust that he is leading us through a season that is dark and cloudy and confusing and we don't know what's on the other side of it. And one of the challenging things in these seasons is that we usually don't feel God's presence with us like we used to, right? It's one of the things that make these seasons so confusing and difficult is that we can point to times in our past and our journey with the Lord where we really could feel his presence with us. We were filled with joy and peace and hope and excitement Sort of like David when he was a young man and he was defeating lions and bears and defeating Goliath. He knew God's hand with him, his presence with him in a powerful way as he was victorious, right? As he was defeating the enemy. 
But then he comes to this season where there's no more victory. There's no more breakthrough. Instead, he's running and hiding for years on end. Where once he was leading the armies of the nation of Israel, now he's in a season where the people who have come to him to be led are all of the people who were disgruntled, in debt, and in distress. And these are the mighty men that David gets to lead. His life didn't look like it was before, and he couldn't feel God the same way he did before. He didn't have the assurance of God's presence with him because he had victory after victory after victory in his life. He had to learn to trust that God's presence was there with him, that that anointing that Samuel had given him hadn't been lifted, that God's spirit and presence remained with him even when he was walking through the wilderness. He had to learn to trust God, to trust God had a plan and a purpose and timing. He had to learn to wait on God. He had to learn to obey God and to stick with God, to remain faithful, even when it seemed like God had forgotten to be faithful. All right, how many of us have had those seasons in our lives where it feels like, God, we, I'm doing all of the right things. I've remained faithful. You aren't keeping up your end of the bargain, right? It seems like God is no longer faithful. Will we remain faithful to him when everything inside us wants to quit and run? I think Saul is a really good example of someone who chose not to grow in his season of wilderness or in his season of facing a wall. Saul chose not to cooperate with God's work in his life. And time and again, he chose his own way. He chose disobedience. He chose jealousy. He chose grasping on to control, trying to, to remain in charge. Saul's sense of who he was was all wrapped up in his successes and the esteem of others, in victory and in control. And when all of that was threatened by David's rise to power and prominence, Saul fought really hard to hang on to what he thought he needed to remain happy and successful and, and in God's favor. But David had this sense of self that seemed to be grounded in something far different, to be grounded in God's love, God's commitment for him, God's care for him, so that whether he was in a season of success and victory or he was in a season where everything seemed out of control, he was still able to trust in the Lord. And we see beautiful prayers and songs that David wrote through this season of his life as he was wandering through the wilderness being chased by a deranged king out to kill him, that somehow David was still able to sing praises to God. He was still able to say that, God, I'm, I'm confused, I'm being chased, someone's out to kill me, but yet I know you are good, yet I know you are in control, yet I know I will see your goodness. David learned to trust God in the confusing time in his life, this confusing prolonged season of waiting, this confusing prolonged season where it seemed like God's presence had been withdrawn from him. But in fact, God's presence was near to him whether he felt it or not. 
David made the choice to trust when he didn't know what was going on, to partner with God's work in his life when he was at his own wall. So he learned to to embrace the mystery of who God is, that we don't have him all figured out. We don't always know most of the time. We don't know what he's up to. We don't know what he's up to in our life or in the world around us, but trusting in his goodness and his purposes and his plan. He learned to wait. He learned to be a man who was broken in a good way before the Lord. See, this wasn't David's only season of hitting the wall. Be later on in his life that he would come up against a wall that was of his own making and his sin of, of really raping Bathsheba and killing her husband. And when he was confronted by the Lord's prophet, we see a king now, King David, who was broken by his sin. He was broken by his disobedience to the Lord. And in this season of his life, he was again shaped and transformed as he chose to surrender to God in a wall of his own making. And though he, he emerged on the other side, still not a perfect man, many mistakes, but he continued to be a man that God described as one who was after his own heart. So David emerged on the other side of his wall. He was transformed. He was shaped by them. And he continued to serve and lead uh, from this, this rooted and grounded sense of who God was and his purposes, his goodness. And God continued to lead him, to guide him, to bring more and more opportunities in David's life for him to serve the Lord faithfully, to surrender to him, to God's will, and to God's work of love in his life. As you look at this, this kind of map or roadmap of, of our life with the Lord, just for your own sense, where do you think you are? on this map? Where has God led you to at this moment? What season do you feel like you have walked into? Do you feel like maybe you're stuck in your, your journey with the Lord? Do you feel like you're in the season of dryness or barrenness or hit this wall that you can't walk through? One thing that I like to remember is that our journey with God is not some linear journey. Right? We, we like to think of it kind of like this, this first picture here, where it's like upward movement, and anything that's not an upward and onward movement is defeat and a mistake. Right? But a lot of people have, have thought of our journey with the Lord more like a spiral, and that as you trace that spiral, it seems at some points that you're actually moving backwards. But as long as you're still moving, you're getting closer to the center. And if we think of our lives with the Lord as being pulled into his gravitational force in our life, as long as we're in rotation around him, even the confusing seasons of life where because of circumstances of other people's making or our own making, we seem to be moving farther back, the reality is God is still drawing us closer and closer and closer to himself. It might not feel like we're moving forward, but we're moving in the right direction as long as we're continuing to be drawn closer to the heart and purposes of God, trusting him that he's 
guiding and directing our steps, even when we can't clearly see the way forward. This morning, we get the opportunity to come before the Lord and receive communion together. And as, as we move to this, this point in our, our morning together, a story that I've been thinking about this week is the story of uh, the two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. So this is after Jesus has been crucified. He hasn't yet appeared to all of his disciples. Um, and these, these two disciples are on their way, this seven-mile journey from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. And they have, I think we could say they have hit a wall in their life, right? Everything that they thought they knew um, has, has changed. They, they were trusting in this Messiah, this rabbi that they were following after, and he's been crucified. And they just don't know what to do with their life now. They don't know what to do with all the hopes and dreams and plans that they had before. And as they're on this, this seven-mile journey back uh, to Emmaus, a man appears by their side and starts talking to them about everything that they'd been processing through, everything that had happened in the, the last few days. And when they get to their destination, they invite this man to stop with them and to have a meal. And as they, they stop to have a meal with him, this man who turns out to be Jesus breaks the bread. And it says in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was walking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? They were walking this journey of confusion, feeling like Jesus was absent. And then it was in the breaking of the bread that they realized that Jesus was present with them all along. No matter what it is that you are walking through, no matter if you feel like you're smack dab in the middle of overwhelming circumstances, if you feel like you're in a point of your life where you're not feeling the presence of God with you, can I reassure you that Jesus has not left your side? That our eyes might be clouded from seeing him because of our circumstances, like those disciples on the road, but Jesus is with us, even in the confusion. This quote from Thomas Merton, I think, is, sums it up really well. God, who is everywhere, never leaves us. Yet he seems sometimes to be present, sometimes absent. If we do not know him well, we do not realize that he may be more present to us when he is absent than when he is present. May you today experience the gift of Jesus present to his church. No matter what our feelings tell us, if we feel his presence or not, that together as we come before the Lord's table, and as he breaks the bread and gives us his body, gives us his blood, that we can be assured that God is present. He hasn't left, and he will not leave us.
despite what our feelings or circumstances might say. The same Jesus who was walking the road with his disciples and who was present in the breaking of the bread is present to us today. As Brittany comes up to lead us in a song, I want to invite you to take um, the communion elements that were handed to you as you came in. If you need someone to bring them to you, just go ahead and raise your hand this morning. and We can bring some communion elements to you. And I invite you to first to, to open up and to take out the bread. This is the body of Jesus that was given to us. The sacrificial love of our God who gave all of himself to all of us. And the truth is that he is profoundly present, uniquely and powerfully present as we together come before his table and receive communion together. And so in the name of Jesus, would we receive his body broken for us? And then as we turn to the cup, would we be reminded of the amazing love of God, our Savior who allowed himself to be pierced for us, his blood flowing down his forehead through the wounds in his hands and in his feet, out of his profound and undying love for his church. This is the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of all of our sins. God, we stand before you this morning profoundly aware that you are with us. No matter what point in the journey we feel like we are on with you, if it's a a point in the journey where we sense your presence with us, or it seems to be a a point of, of your removal of your presence from us, we come today to be reminded of your death, your resurrection, the promise of your spirit given to us, and the promise of your presence with us as we gather together as your church. And so we receive today the gift of your life in us. We receive the gift of your spirit with us. We receive the gift of your love poured out for us. Pray all this in the mighty, powerful, awesome name of Jesus Christ. As you're able this morning, would you stand with us and let's sing this song to the Lord.